Welcome to More to Come, PW Comics World's bi-weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as the graphic novel review editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat, www.comicsbeat.com. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm their podcast producer, and I write for PW Comics World and The Beat. Okay, let's run down our, the list we're going to be talking about today. Publishers Weekly's uh, list of best graphic novels of 2011. Uh, top Shelf is going to go digital. ICB2 has uh, issued a call for uh, publishers to, to give up uh, more digital sales information. Uh, we're going to talk about three Kickstarter projects, Kickstarter comics projects. Um, Chris Claremont um, donated uh, an archive of his papers to Columbia University. And number six uh, on the list here are our briefs. And we'll, uh, in, the, in the session, with we'll, uh, a look at uh, some timely graphic novels that are just coming out. Every year, we uh, pick uh, 10 graphic novels to go along with the rest of the uh, Publishers Weekly's uh, best books of the year. And our list this year includes, uh, should I give the whole list? <laughs> Zara's Paradise by Amir and Camille uh, from First Second Publishers. Day Tripper by Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon from uh, Vertigo. Hark a Vagrant by Kate Beaton from Drawn and Quarterly. The Influencing Machine, Brooke Gladstone on the Media by uh, Brooke Gladstone from NPR, uh, and uh, The Fabulous Josh Newfeld, published by W.W. Norton. Lovin' Rockets, New Stories Number 4 uh, by Los Bros. Um, Infinite Kung Fu by K.K. McLeod from Top Shelf. Finder Voice by Carlos Speed McNeil from Dark Horse. Big Questions uh, by Anders Nilsson, also from uh, D&Q. Farm 54 by Galit and Galat. Selictar from Fanfare Opponent Monk, and of course Habibi uh, by Craig Thompson from Pantheon. Okay, let's discuss our choices. Well, obviously, they're all really extraordinarily uh, uh, wonderful books. I mean, if, uh, jumping around to sort of some of my favorites out of a list of uh, superlative books, uh, I'm going to go right to The Influencing Machine. Um, uh, it's, it's a Broad history of the media from the Roman Empire to to uh, to the digital publishing era. Uh, in many ways, um, Brooke Glastone, who um, uh, many of you will know from NPR's On the Media program, with that looks at uh, issues heroine. around the media. She in, is indeed my heroine, and she gave me a big hug when I interviewed her too. So she's even she's risen up even higher on my list. But it's it's uh, it's a, um, a um, inventing. Um, Comics uh, or a Scott McCloud type investigation into the medium, uh, what media has meant, looking at its at myths about it, um, uh, m- uh, misunderstandings of the media, and how it really functions, how it's functioned historically over time, and how it functions particularly today in, in the digital media. It's but really in comic a wonderful form. book. Yes. It's yes, in comics form, form. And, and, and it's a, um, uh, a hardcover book uh, from, from Norton and uh, a publisher that really is known for doing really classy nonfiction. I think you know one of the things about uh, this year's picks is we did have a lot of uh, unanimity. I mean, there have been times in the past when there was some some uh, hard, well, you know, the hard discussions about what was going to make the list <laughs> always, or not. Always. always, but I yeah, this year I feel like we came very mm-hmm. peacefully. I mean, I think it was a it was. I mean, obviously it was a standout year, but mm-hmm. I, I think these books really do. Um, represent really uh, pretty pretty high standard, and uh, I mean there was a few. There obviously there's more. You could double the list to twenty yes, books, yeah, but yeah. 
Um, my favorite probably is Love and Rockets New Stories number four, which um, I think there's been a lot of discussion online over whether you get as much out of this book if you've been a long-term reader, whether you could just come to it as a new reader. Um, I mean, certainly if you're a, uh, an old hand, you, uh, such as I am, you get a lot out of the story. But uh, it's just fantastic cartooning. And, um, you know, a couple of trends this year. I mean, obviously, comics, uh, love of the Middle East continues. You have Zara's mm -hmm. Paradise, mm -hmm. which is a, a really sharp... Uh, book set in uh, the Iranian uh, times right now with uh, with missing people and the search for them. And, and it's really set during the recent Iranian yes. um, uh, uprising yes, around the their green, election the in green 2009. Spring, the Green Spring. So, uh, and uh, Habibi, of course, also set in a mythical, mystical which, kind of orientalist... Uh, yeah, uh, this is the one that there was the most friction over in our uh, discussion. Did you see the in uh, the interview with him today or the this week though that was up on um, a website that shall not be named uh, that really confronted him very directly about the, his orientalist mm -hmm. tropes and he actually mm -hmm. acquitted himself pretty well I thought. He really addressed well, them. Well I mean it's nice that he does that in interviews but a book has to stand on its own. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. well, and we, we, while on. it's certainly worthy I was kind of like oh man really is that on the list? Oh, I guess it should be. I mean, one of the things we're talking about is that he, he, he's created a storyline that he admits himself is, 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 is essentially a cowboy's and Indian view of the world. It's, it's taking um, Orientalist notions of the Middle East uh, and, and turning that into this sort of timeless um, space that kind of uh, reaches out and grabs issues from all over history. Uh, everything from uh, sexual abuse and slavery um, to environmentalism. Yeah. Well, I mean, he does say in the in his interview, he does say, "Yeah, sure, you know, Zan was sexualized. Yes, she was." Uh, yeah. And then he says that to me, which is the the you know the kiss of death, which is it's only a comic book. Um, however, I will say I do just think his level of artistry is so incredible, and his mastery of comic books is so great that it kind of has to make it just done. It's, it's pretty breathtaking. I know. I know wait, Kate wait, wasn't. Kate, that, Kate, I know. Kate. Hold on. Just hold on a second. I know Kate wasn't so crazy about it, and and I and I, I I did a public interview with him at, at Book Expo, and we talked about these issues. I I, I did do think that the book is really sort of um, engrossing in its scope, uh, its use of um, of calligraphy. That does not necessarily really because he doesn't speak Arabic, but it's taking a look at it's the uh, the the power the visual power that's gone into in, gone into this book is is pretty amazing. That said, his critics do have uh, some points. Yeah, all I'm going to say is there's no question it's a gorgeous book. Um, it's just that. Oh man, I have issues with it. Like, just don't even get me started. No, you should. Yeah, that's what yeah. we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, okay, I'm going to give the very short, brief version, which that's is funny. while he's like, rape and slavery is bad, he has lots and lots of very, like, pretty sexualized, like, why don't we admire her as she's being naked and raped and stuff? Isn't it pretty? Which I'm just like, oh God, no. Um, not to mention the fact that giant amounts of incomprehensible incest and and like randomly making one of the two main characters a eunuch. So basically the whole book is like, it's about this is my view of the Middle East, sex slavery and eunuchs. And I'm like, great, awesome. I'm, I'm so proud of you. Moving on. <laughs> Another county heard from. Um, well, you know, there's certainly, uh, uh, there's certainly legitimate issues to, to criticize the book about. Um, 
So go out and read it and, yeah. and oh, make think, up your own mind. I think they're very legitimate issues. And yeah. I, I mean, I think Thompson was aware of them, is what I'm saying. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily excuse them at all. I, agree I, with I don't you. really care if he's aware of them or not. I care about the book as itself. Uh, and but one, moving on. One more point just about Zara's Paradise. Uh, uh, it's a very interesting product uh, uh, project. Um, and is among several that First Second, First Second has launched on the web. Uh, and it's proved to be a very flexible model for them. In particular, Zars Paradise um, started its life out as a web comics. They sold the foreign rights well in advance of the print book actually being appearing. Uh, and, and so they, by the time the print book made it, basically they'd made their money yeah, back. But and were, yeah. yeah. Also, uh, the the creators, I believe, are still anonymous. Correct? They're still. Uh, I think they came out a little yeah, bit but they, recently, but they only were... very recently. Yes, but the creators were anonymous for mm-hmm. most of that time. But apparently, I think one of them got an award or something at the uh, UN, so they have come forward a little bit. And uh, before, also before we move on, there is a third book on here that deals with the Middle East, which is Farm Fifty Four. Yes, actually, yes, which Calvin, that was another. Um, yes, actually created by a brother sister team uh, and. Uh, it's really uh, set in Israel, and the, the stories are very, very sort of beautiful and thoughtful and emotional stories uh, about a young girl kind of coming to age in the Middle East, in particular the stories about her military service in the, in the Israeli armies. In the so, Israeli army. So obviously comics are still engaging with, uh, with the real <laughs> the, world. The, with the question of the, of the decade, yes. My personal favorite that I really pushed for was Day Tripper which is just an amazing comic that came out from Vertigo. And I honestly feel like the the only reason you're not hearing about it more from the comic snobs of the world is it came out from, you know, DC Vertigo. Like, if it had come out, I think, from Drawn and Quarterly or from Fantagraphics, I think they would be singing its praises to the movie. Absolutely. Um, And I think that's kind of sad that people are so centered on who published what, but I don't care. It stands on its own. It's amazing. Um, basically, the concept is that you see how this man's life would look different if he died at different ages. So, I mean, it makes it sound really gruesome, but it's actually kind of a sweet story. Because at the end of every issue, it, it's he dies at various points of the... Mm-hmm. Right. The It's like, each is what his eulogy would be if he had died at a different age, and how different someone's life looks from the perspective of different points in it. But it's, you know, it's just gone gorgeous art and it has just wonderful characters and very poetic writing and it's it's just amazing um, and also there's Infinite Kung Fu which was so much fun it was so much fun yeah no I think that kind of covers the entertainment side of it although you know still it's a typical quest story where you know our hero must have must uh, defeat the great kung fu master, but it was just done with such great artwork and so, oh, you know, so, and much style, so much and, style and, and yeah. humor and just and pure love for the subject and matter. And he really has uh, brought the whole mythology of the kung fu, the Movie. path to you know, you know, righteousness and and all you know whatever it is you're after in kung fu. He's really kind of recreated in a beautiful book. Yeah, it's, it's just. Amazing fun. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, also, uh, I think somewhere in between all these is uh, Finder Voice by yes. Carlos oh. McNeil, which is where she's invented her own civilization. It's, it's, and amazing. it's amazing. Well, it's, so, it's, it's so amazing. It's very difficult to sort of summarize <laughs> what, uh, what the, the Finder is about. It's just 
let's put it, far future science fiction yeah. and yeah. a far future you've never seen before. But you know what's so great about her books? I mean, obviously she creates this amazingly detailed world that's governed by clans and how they relate to one another and what their social standing is. But at the end of the day, Carla's characters are so real, they're so tangible, and the relations between them so vivid and so human. So we have so, yes, so human. So you can really imagine knowing these people if indeed you don't recognize someone you already know in them. I mean, she's just a master of creating characters that you can connect with. And uh, also, like, kind of a companion piece to Day Tripper in some ways is Big Questions by Anders oh, yes. Nelson, which is mm-hmm. another book that, that uh, kind of uh, uh, touches on, uh, grapples with the meaning of life, only in a completely different way. Yeah. It's a much more of a metaphor through, uh, through birds and who kind of bomb in their midst. And I mean, this book yes. just goes off. It's 600 pages. Mm-hmm. One of many big whoppers on this list. Uh, but it just goes off yes, on a lot yes. of tangents. 600 pages. <laughs> yeah. And uh, again, it just kind of wanders mm-hmm. over a lot of uh, anthropomorphic uh, storytelling. But it's such a poetry to it. I mean, Anders Nilsson is just an incredible cartoonist with yeah. a very, very delicate style. And um, it, it, an it's, ability to sort of incorporate humor and philosophy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and finally on the list, speaking of fun, I think probably oh, yes. the breakout yes. graphic novel of the yes. year, Hark of Vagrant by Kate Beaton. And I mean, if you uh, didn't think that that's a, this book was going to be a bestseller and, uh, you know, yeah. she just played to the crowned heads of Europe, uh, so to speak, <laughs> on her tour. Um, you know, Kate Beaton is comics resident superstar of the moment and uh, because uh, she's very funny. And I have this yeah. feeling that this, she's going to be one of these uh, creators who's going to be around for a long time yeah. because there means sort of inexhaustible well of source yeah. for her making fun of, of history graduate and history life. student gone bad yeah, <laughs> gone funny gone funny yeah <laughs> okay uh, let's see let's move on to our digital um, uh, our digital news uh, this week in particular uh, Top Shelf um, announced that it's releasing uh, two dedicated apps um, for Top Shelf's main line of books and Top Shelf Kids Club for their kids' comics. They are also uh, releasing all their comics through a wide variety of, of digital vendors. Graphically, um, they're releasing a hundred um, uh, titles on Google eBooks, um, and at the same time, they're offering a big sale, a limited uh, for a limited amount of time, uh, where they've got five really great books that they're selling from ninety nine cent to two ninety nine. I believe among them are um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. 1910. Which is um, amazing, by the way. Yes, and Owley. I mean, that alone. Mm, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Owley's on there. Um, I'm leaving something out. Yeah. I think there's well, a Jeffrey Brown Well, I mean, they Brown have their book. whole, yeah, they have a lot of their great catalog yeah. on there. And I mean, I think what's really significant about this move is that it's the first kind of indie publisher to really make a yeah. splash with their digital news. And by indie, we don't mean like IDW or something. Sure. We mean like already indie. We mean small yeah. but significant. Yes, yes. Much more of uh, a... Uh, I.e., uh, Drawn in quarterly and Fantagraphics, we're talking about you. Catch what, up. Catch what are up. your digital plans? Yes, when, that's what and, we're waiting to find uh, out. You know, they always say, if you ask them about digital, the the spokespeople for those companies are always kind of like, yeah, I know, and or, or else uh, <laughs> more uh, more vehement than that in uh, yeah. terms of dislike. So um, you know, but uh, I think it's it's uh, kind of uh, they need to get with the program. Well, I think it's probably coming along. They, they, even they can't hold out for forever. Mm-hmm. And now, some uh, they do say that their authors don't want to be on digital. You know, well, maybe they should leave it up mm-hmm. to the yeah. authors, and then you know the authors who want to experiment with mm-hmm. it. Well, 
Yeah, but I, I, I do well, imagine that some authors... Big questions need to be digital. Yes, it because does. Because it's big. It's big. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and you can't... And you, otherwise, you can't read that book anyplace but in your home. And I, I imagine <laughs> that several cartoonists, as their children get tablets, will see that it's not so bad. And then it's they'll really be not like, scary and evil. Yeah. And swear they, to God. And they look great on them. So, uh, anyway, this is the first first trend, but, you know, more to come, as usual. Yes. And just as, in terms of more to come, uh, just in the digital tip, there was a call for numbers this week from Milton Greep at ICV2. He wrote a, yeah. an op-ed, which he very rarely does, saying that, you know, we really need to get some digital numbers and um, just that saying that would really help vendors and suppliers to see what is reaching this new audience because as John Root at DC is fond of saying this is an additive audience not a subtractive audience um, I think Melton was a little bit optimistic maybe in asking for actual numbers from publishers uh, you know I think it'll be a cold day in hell before we get any publishers <laughs> actually telling us what their digital numbers are uh, however they could easily uh, do a monthly mm. chart and if I'm not mistaken well, if, if it's not numbers on the chart if, what's on the chart yeah, yeah. If, what, uh, if they're publishing them through for instance say Kindle I think mm -hmm. they may be um, uh, prohibited from giving out the exact numbers right. I think right. part of the contract well, sure is that Apple there's a, also there's has an NDA on it so. right so a lot of this is all bound up in, in disclosure agreements so, and so on And but you can do a yeah. moment by moment check on any app on yeah. Apple and see what their top selling in app purchases are which is how you can put together a list but I, I think what Milton was calling for was like you know a monthly or weekly aggregation which you know considering that's digital and you can see your numbers immediately would be a child's play to put together yeah. so um, I, I, I mean I think we'll be seeing that uh, I, by, I, this time next year there will be a digital sales chart of some kind at least yeah. from the individual purveyors I let believe. us hope yeah. um, let's see shall we move on to the next item on our list the um, Kickstarter projects as you all know Kickstarter has become a magnet for not only comics creators but in fact comics publishers um, in particular digital manga which is actually the name of the company in question really wants to reissue the Asama Tezuka book, Swallowing the Earth, which was a adult manga, which was very popular. The only problem is that they can't afford to put out a second printing without help. So... Because um, they originally published it and they sold out. They sold out. They sold out mm -hmm. and they've been inundated by people asking them for copies ever since and they've been very sad they can't provide them. And so if you go on to their Kickstarter campaign and you contribute $5, you will get $10 worth of digital manga of your choice. And if you contribute $30, you will basically be pre-ordering your copy of Swallowing the Earth. How much are they trying to raise? Um, I think it's about $4,000, something I think like it's that. Like $4,000 or $5,000. Yeah. It's really not that much yeah. money. Yeah, number. Um, money. I mean, this is kind of... But uh, they need it. They're mm -hmm. such a small it's, publisher, it's, they just can't it's a little, do it without the funding. It's a little bit of a variant on a lot of web cartoonists do this kind of, sure. like, you know, pre-sell. I mean, this is basically a pre-sale, yeah. you know, yeah, where they're saying if you donate us some money, we can print the book. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Kickstarter continues to evolve in, in so many different directions. You know, if you would say, I'm going to say that one of the greatest cartoonists on earth would be on Kickstarter asking yeah. for money. Well, I mean, he's, yeah. he's, well, he's dead. His go ghost is asking <laughs> yes. for money. Yes. His publisher is asking yes. for money. But it's really, it's very sad when you can't, fund a Tezuka book ahead of time without calling on the fans. Yeah. But if you call on the fans, hopefully they yes, will come. they will come. But once again, I mean, Kickstarter is, I just is proving to be a flexible platform for 
coming up with unusual ways to get books published. And um, one of those is Alex DeCampi's new Al- book. Al- Alex DeCampi is working on, um, it's what uh, has been described as a sequel to her book Smoke, although it's a standalone book. Um, it's going to you know, it's going to be released in digital form only. There are going to be like a thousand, lim- a limited run of a thousand copies. But the idea really is to get people to pre-buy the book to help them get it out there. Now, um, she's trying to raise $27,000 and I, they've raised about half of it already. And I think there's about another three to four weeks uh, of the uh, pledging or whatever you, whatever Kickstarter calls their uh, calls it what they do. Uh, there will be uh, let's see the artist on the book is Jimmy Broxton, um, and <clears throat> it's going to be published serially and then it's going to be brought together as a full digital graphic novel. So. Um, Check out Kickstarter. Yeah, and, and she's out. also doing a lot of innovative things with her program with retailers, yeah. where she's trying to get retailers involved in it. And, uh, <clears throat> and when she first did it, she was uh, also uh, offering the uh, film rights as part of the Kickstarter deal. But Kickstarter actually stopped yeah. that. That was not that somehow or other uh, transgressed the rules. But uh, you know, Alex DeCampi's been on the on the uh, cutting edge of digital yeah. for quite a while, and uh, you know, this is definitely a campaign that a lot of people have uh, made notice of. And speaking of campaigns, another one. Uh, up this week is for Occupy Comics. It's another, uh, uh, you know, Occupy Wall Street has been in the news incredibly over the last month or so. Uh, You know, last time we were here, we were talking about how Susie Cagle had been arrested at one of them. And and now what is going on is uh, Halo 8 is uh, putting together a project and uh, Kickstarter will fund it, whereby cartoonists are going to be documenting the various... uh, Occupy movements around the and country. And Halo is a transmedia company. Yes, it's yeah. a transmedia company. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, this is another one that they'll just be, this is basically funding cartoonists to go around and, and cover this. And, and get they're going to document and draw, I guess, and yes, recreate they're document the, uh, the, pr- yes. the protest yes. that's going on. Yes, it's cartoon journalism, yes. basically. And they yes. got some more, yeah, a lot of people joined up already. And uh, today they had some new ones announced. Um, Derek Crab Robertson Apple. is heavily involved. Is heavily is, uh, majorly involved. involved. And Dan Goldman and Amanda mm-hmm. Palmer. So, I mean, they just have a ton of people who are who are joining up. And, uh, and I believe that they're um, hoping to contribute from their profits to Occupy Wall yes. Street movement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, lest we forget, uh, I need to mention one other uh, Kickstarter project, a really important one. Uh, uh, Joyce Brabner, uh, the widow of the great auto- autobiographical comics writer Harvey Picar, is working to, to put up a memorial statue of Harvey Picar in front of the Cleveland Heights a public library, the public library that actually Harvey used and that uh, is also incredibly comics friendly. friendly. Um, uh, it, this is a, a new effort that kind of replaces an earlier version of the Harvey Memorial that was really big and outsized and it was going to be in the cemetery. Joyce didn't like it. She wanted something that, that more more clearly evoked the spirit of Harvey, uh, you know, as, uh, <laughs> as the Schlemiel uh, he was. Uh, in any event, <clears throat> there, uh, she is sponsoring a Kickstarter uh, project. Um, they're trying to raise thirty thousand uh, dollars. Frankly, uh, as of today, I think they've hit their goal and maybe going beyond it. But all to the better. Donate anyway. Uh, as I understand it, most of the um, uh, any surplus will be used to buy graphic novels to add to the uh, to the Cleveland uh, Heights Public Library's graphic novel collection. Uh, the sculpture will be executed uh, by Justin Coulter. And we think it's a fitting and worthy tribute to a terrific and talented comics artist.
Chris Claremont, uh, really, I guess, legendary and uh, acclaimed um, longtime uh, writer for X-Men and Uncanny X-Men, um, has uh, reached an agreement with Columbia University to uh, donate an archive or the archives uh, of, of, his, of his writing really over about the last 40 years um, uh, to, uh, to Columbia University. It'll be, held, it'll be at Butler Library. Um, that it's, it's being delivered to, it's being actually donated to the Rare Books and Manuscript Library. Now, which is uh, um, uh, one individual who has been instrumental in all this is Karen Green, who is both a medieval, medieval librarian at Columbia and the graphic oh, novel. I was going to say, I sense the presence of Karen Green and in this of announcement. Of course, of course. Karen has been really instrumental in all of this. Uh, she, uh, uh, through, through a, a, a former um, fellow NYU student, um, I think she was an undergraduate at the time, and uh, Beth Fleischer, um, Claremont's wife, also went there at the same time. So they knew each other, but actually uh, Mimi Cruz of Night Flight Comics in Utah basically brought them together and said, hey, you need to talk with Karen. Karen, of course, took the idea to the Rare Books uh, collection. They loved it because they loved working with the general mm -hmm. collection. Karen has put together a really a magnificent uh, collection of graphic novels at Columbia University. Uh, over 2,100 titles, even more volumes. Some of the stuff, you know, has several volumes in it. Um, but it will be everything from notebooks uh, to uh, character studies to um, uh, his novels. He's obviously also a science fiction novelist. Uh, there will be materials from his early career as an actor, um, playbills, the whole like. Uh, and on top of all of that. Karen, uh, along with some help, I believe Danny Fingeroff and another professor at Columbia, a professor Dauber, are putting together a conference to be held in March of 2012 called Comic New York. Karen is hoping to really to create a resource center at Columbia University to uh, receive the papers of, of New York City area uh, cartoonists and comics writers, people in the business, uh, in the city. Uh, where the comics medium arguably was right. born. Right. And, you know, this is fantastic. Uh, obviously, um, Ohio State University, under the great Lucy Caswell, has a mm -hmm. uh, accumulated a huge collection of uh, comics uh, papers and collections and historical documents over the years. But, um, you know, to have one at a, a august institution such as Columbia is really a, a great step. And, uh, you know, Karen is a mover and a shaker. She makes things happen. What can I say? So and, and, and plus, I mean, it's good to have something like this which is very visible so that comic creators who are getting older don't just randomly leave their papers to their grandkids who don't know what to do with them, yes. that they're somewhere that everyone knows about. They know that they can leave their papers for the comic historians of the future. And, and you know, uh, if I know anything about comics creators, uh, holding on to their papers is probably about the easiest thing for them to do. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm saying there's a rich, a rich, uh, 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 you know, uh, horizon of hoarding that uh, Karen has to draw on. The so. comic industry has s such a hoarder complex. Yeah. It's hilarious. And the papers, uh, there, uh, as Karen explained to me, uh, the papers have to be processed. And a very detailed finding aid will be posted online, so so that people will know what's in uh, what's in the archives. Mm -hmm. Anyone can use it if they can show a demonstrated need to see it. Mm -hmm. um, so academics, obviously, and researchers, but uh, ordinary fans can see the papers. 
Once again, if you can come up with a, a clear and demonstrated need to yeah. see the papers. And uh, just to, you know, we covered the story recently also with the Library of Congress also mm -hmm. was having a small True. press expo uh, mm -hmm. collection. So, you know, this is, um, you know, this all this hoarding is really being put to good use. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Okay, oh. and now it's now time briefs. for the briefs. <laughs> now it's time. Now, um, we've got a few briefs from Marvel. Marvel has been putting out digital codes in the back of a number of their single-issue comics that, you know, you buy the three ninety nine single-issue of, say, Ultimate Spider-Man, and you will automatically also get a code for a digital copy. Complimentary. Well, they've taken it one step up because they've announced that in their their much anticipated Marvel season one line of graphic novels which are uh, intended to bring in new fans by telling stories from early in the careers of their characters where the storylines weren't so complex they've decided that each of these graphic novels will come out with a code for a free digital copy of the entire graphic novel and um, this is kind of Bundling, bundling. This is kind of revolutionary for them. Um, some retailers are very annoyed about this. You know what they say? Some. It's really it's Brian really one. It's really <laughs> it's one. Brian, it's Brian Hips. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, but for everyone who speaks up and has this loadable web presence, there are probably three guys in in caps comics of of you know New Zealand or something who are very mad too. Well, Brian gives uh you know he gives some very clear reasons why he opposes this. So I mean. Brian is very articulate you know, about yeah. his points. So you know, you know he, he's listened to. Without but. a doubt, this is the future. Um, people are going to want print and the digits. And this is a, a really interesting experiment to see what's going to well, happen. Well, you know, they do that with DVDs already. You know, yes. you buy your DVD of whatever and you get a digital copy for your iPad. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, as the year has progressed, especially with the success of the New 52, which was all available day and date, um, you know, you've heard retailers uh, raise their pitchforks less and less and less. I mean, they're mm -hmm. kind of not really standing pat against it anymore. I mean, there's kind of a sense of resignation that uh, this is eventually going to be, uh, you know, the new storefront. But um, they're, they're kind of just mm -hmm. minding their own store, which I think is really the healthiest thing for them right mm -hmm. now. So, I mean, we never want to see our retail friends no. go away. No, no, we love our retail friends. There's some, there's some friends. evidence out there that digital sampling is sending people in the stores, uh, and, and retailers are saying this themselves. So, obviously, you know, <laughs> more to come. Meanwhile, Marvel is canceling some titles. Uh, actually, several. Not For one thing, the ones that are generating some heat are the cancellations of X-23, which was their last remaining female-led book, where the main character is X-23, who is indeed a woman, and Black Panther, which a lot of people are going to be very sad to see go, as well as titles such as Victor Von Doom, the much-anticipated mini, and Alpha Flight and Destroyers, both by Fred Van Lente, who may be leaving Marvel. Or at least his exclusive at Marvel. Um, mm -hmm. You also uh, canceled was uh, Ghost Rider, which... Um, was uh, sort of a hybrid female-led book because it, Ghost Rider's a guy, but now he's a girl. So I, Wait, I, what? Uh, yeah, I, I, well, you know, people, you know, the power of the Ghost Rider doesn't discriminate. Um, so I, I was not reading that book. and uh, oh, wasn't well, that I, I missed review. that one. So, um, but anyway, so, you know, what is going on at yeah, Marvel? It's a, <laughs> it's a world turned upside down. Yeah. DC's riding high. Marvel is like... Uh, riding dry, you know, man. Laying people off, canceling titles. What is going on? Yeah, and I mean, all these, like, 
kind of mean hero books like Black Panther and Ghost Rider being canceled kind of makes you think, oh, are they going to reboot them? Uh, <laughs> maybe it's you know? time. I mean, what's what's going on? I mean, it's they... Bizarro World. Yeah, well, maybe it's time for another well, fifty-two. They, uh, I think there's been a lot of changes. You know, Ruan Jayatalicki and David Bogart were That's both right. just recently promoted Ruan's... at Marvel to make up for some mm-hmm. of the losses, but uh, I, I think uh, they need to get a a strong message out there as opposed to they have not been giving good messaging on any of this and um you know i think getting a better a little more on message might uh might uh, improve morale yeah. so to speak okay and uh, more to come oh yes and now speaking uh, of what's speaking, coming speaking of what's yes. coming brooklyn comics festival is yes. coming december 3rd there you go yes and uh this is the last show of the year thank god um and well, december 3rd but it's one be. of the best uh this one was the best the, local show one of the certainly. best local shows and really one of the best indie shows mm-hmm. natural nationally that really focuses on art and literary comics and you know the guest list is always Incredible fantastic this, this they they have jack davis is going to be there who was the 80 in his mm-hmm. 80s uh hanging out with the kids yes and uh fanographics has a uh, art book coming out from him he'll be the subject of an art uh, show at the scott ader gallery in dumbo uh the friday before the show um you know phoebe gleckner is a guest um lisa hannawalt it's really an amazing slate and and uh, that's kelly john porcelino yeah, uh, really something for everyone. There's a lot of great books that are making their debuts there. Um, by the time we next podcast, uh, the show will have taken place, so we'll all be you know holding up our indie uh, books and uh, saying how. I'm they're not there. sure it actually will. Have. Well, well, it may have taken. By the place. time you listen to, to it, it, that's it true. By the time you listen to yes. it, it will have taken place. We're thinking of you, gentle reader. Yes. Gentle yes. listener, so, excuse me. Uh, yeah, make sure you get out there. They have a film festival with, like, gonzo crazy movies uh, that are associated with comics. They have programming taking place at Union Pool. So, you know, if you love uh, graphic novels, the Brooklyn Comics and Graphics Fest is the place to be on December 3rd. Awesomely cool. And, um, you know, speaking of books... Uh, we wanted to mention we're having our secret giveaway. If you've been listening to, if you've been listening to our podcast this long, uh, we have another giveaway this time out. And uh, this uh, this time it's Red Rascals War, a Doonesbury book by Gary Trudeau. Uh, this book is full color reprinting of recent strips. Um, it covers the Afghan slacker hero Sork Razil, uh, the trailer park romance of MIT hotshot Alex, and a phasic. Vet Toggle, uh, the White House AIDS, all sorts of good stuff. If you like Doonesbury, you will like this book. Hard it cover. is massive. And massive. How do you, you can hurt somebody with this book. How do you get this book? Very simply, you write in to our special address, pwcwgiveaway at gmail.com, and put the title of the book in the title of the email, Red Rascals War. And your address in the body of the email. We will choose at random one of the entrants to get this book. So make sure you put your address in there or we can't send it to you. And you may be a lucky winner. There you go. Good stuff for our wonderful listeners. And speaking of books again. Okay. uh, What have we been reading? Well, uh, talking about comic strips. I know I always do when we do our reading books. I always do Fantagraphics or Toronto Quarterly, but I just love their books so much. This week we have Pogo came out earlier this year. Uh, Pogo by Walt Kelly, one of the all-time great comic strips. Awesome. Uh, Of, uh, you know... um, 
the great characters uh, with, uh, now I can't remember their names, uh, Pogo Possum, of course, <laughs> Albert Alligator, uh, Churchy Lafemme, and yeah, yeah. Uh, they're running around in the swamp, and this is one of the best drawn he comics is, of all Walt time. Walt Kelly is just amazing. Yes, and I'll uh, tell you something. If you happen to like Bone by Jeff Smith, yes. if you <laughs> there's a lot of similarity, dude. If you dude. look through the first few pages <laughs> of this book, I'm not going to give anything away, but you are going to see where Jeff would, actually got some of his uh, favorite characters. There would be characters. no Bone without yeah, Walt there Kelly. Would not. In fact, if you rearrange the letters Pogo, you get Bone. Think, so. uh, anyway. Only if you can't spell. Yes. <laughs> Uh, the other book we're going to talk about, just a little briefly, is uh, some of the stuff going on at Archie Comics. Um, they uh, Archie has been running a really, a really interesting new. Um, well, they brought uh, what was it, uh, Life of Archie back, the magazine, and they started running a fascinating strip. Uh, basically, it was a more realistically, still cartoony, but it's more realistically drawn strip about what would happen if Archie actually married Veronica or. or if he'd married Betty, mm. and the result two very is, different lives, yeah, and the result has been this fascinating strip that they've co- that they've collected into a big chunky graphic novel called Archie: The Married Life: Two Worlds, Two Loves, Two Destinies, and it really Archie's life play and and all of our heroes from Riverdale, they grow up, they uh, they 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 follow different fates depending on who Archie marries. Uh, in the original book, it was sort of uh, put as a back-to-back in the magazine. You know, you turn it around the other way and you can see what happened to the other um, uh, uh, of his girlfriends that he went out with. It's brought all together in this book. Uh, it's marvelously dark. I mean, uh, when Archie marries Veronica, you know, he goes into corporate life. Uh, he's, it becomes very sterile. Uh, when he marries Betty, he moves to New York City to, to pursue a music career. Um, you know, Moose has a, a anger management issues. Uh, Midge leaves him. I mean, you know, this book has one of the best taglines of all times. Yeah, it's, two worlds, two loves, two, two destinies. <laughs> it is. It has really given a new life to a, to a franchise that seems to never die. Anyway, but this is really taking Archie to a new level. It's a lot of fun, uh, and uh, as we watch Archie really look into. Uh, the darkness of, you know, <laughs> of real life and and and, and real growth. Oh, so dear. check it out, um, Archie: The Married Life. Okay, and that's it for this it week. Wraps it up for the, well, another week. Well, you know, week. but there's more to come. There's always more to come. Always more to come.